Amen. Good morning. Oh, you guys doing all right? Nice. I like it. I'm on my third cup of coffee, and I feel fantastic. And I'm really thankful that you guys are here this morning. Uh, My name is Marco. I'm the pastor of preaching and teaching here at Storehouse Community Church. And uh, man, just so glad that you are here with us this morning. I'm going to ramble a little bit, uh, as I normally do on Sunday mornings, uh, take you to some place in Scripture. uh, And we're going to find ourselves in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Uh, now, what I want to preface about that is uh, Luke 11.1 uh, is really just going to be a launching pad for our time. We're actually not going to spend a lot of time in verse 1, but today is going to be more like Bible trivia. We're going to be looking at a lot of Scripture throughout the course of our time this morning. And so while you, while you kind of go there... Um, Man, I want to talk about a couple of things. Number one, uh, this, this weekend, yesterday and Thursday, we had our, our, our first men's retreat at Storehouse Community Church, and that was really, really awesome, and uh, it was a fruitful time. It was a beneficial time for all of us dudes to get together. Those of you who were unable to make it, you were missed. I promise you were missed, uh, and we talked about you. And uh, in addition to that, uh, one thing I do want to say is Thank you so much to our volunteers. I, I want to I preface, or not preface, but talk about a couple of things. Uh, number one, especially the guys up here who are leading us in worship, uh, and particularly Everett, who's in the back. He leads our production crew. Uh, these guys, uh, uh, even though they were a part of the retreat this past weekend, they served us so well by leading us in worship. Uh, Everett had uh, things happen, made things happen when it came to audio and visual needs, even because even, he wanted to, because he's that guy. And so that's awesome. So thank you so much to the band. Thank you so much to you, Everett. I'm looking at you. Yes, let's give Everett a big round. He does so much. Yeah. Just say thank you. There you go. There you go. So uh, they did such a wonderful job just by serving us at the retreat. And in addition to that, some of these guys were, as, uh, uh, were up as early as 5.30 to make it back here just to continue to lead us in worship. That is, that is their heart for the church. I love that about them. I'm so grateful for them. But in addition to that, one of the conversations that James and I were having as we were leaving the island yesterday is just how thankful we are for you men really. And our sisters, we love you. You're not totally excluded, but it was also a men's retreat. So uh, for the dudes, uh, just so thankful for you, really. Um, <clears throat> so we're going to find ourselves in Luke chapter 11. And, uh, and as I mentioned, I'm going to ramble a little, wait, <laughs> I'm going to ramble a little bit because uh, I want to preface a couple of things about, about our time today. So last week we started a series called Glory. Uh, Glory is going to be a six-week series. This is week two, where we want to focus, excuse me, we want to focus on several areas uh, regarding the person and work of Jesus. My prayer throughout this series is that our worship for Jesus would increase. Uh, My prayer is that through this series, we would have a better understanding of who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and in turn, better understand ourselves. And finally, that we would have clarity in light of what it looks like to live a life for Christ. Last week, we looked at Jesus as God. We walked through Isaiah 61 and then looked at Luke 4. We talked about Jesus' baller move as he 
he walked into the synagogue and preached his first sermon, right? We see in Luke 4 that Jesus, at the start of his earthly ministry, is baptized and then is compelled by the Holy Spirit to enter into the wilderness and be tempted. Uh, And he is hungry and he is tired and he is tempted over the course of this time, comes out victorious from that temptation because he is followed by the same lies that plagued Adam and Eve in the garden, except Christ does not uh, uh, lose that battle. In fact, he comes out victorious. And then scripture says that he enters into the synagogue and that he rolls out, someone hands him a scroll, and it is the prophet Isaiah, where the prophet Isaiah says that there is one who is coming that will be sent, who is anointed, and who is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, in, and Jesus, in very Jesus fashion, says as he quotes Isaiah 61, he says, he is talking about me, I'm here, the promises of God are going to be fulfilled by me, Right? And that, that is him claiming a position. He is staking his flag into the ground. And what we talked about last week in light of what we see Jesus do or in light of what we see uh, for who Jesus is, what we see is that Jesus' primary mission, his primary mission was to reconcile man to God. Primary mission was to reconcile man to God. And so today we're going to be looking at a couple of things, uh, actually, well, just one thing, but over the course of our time, we're going to be looking at a couple of things that Jesus does, uh, not just in light of salvation, but also in light of what it looks like to live as a Christian. Jesus gives some things that are very explicit, and then he gives some templates for some other things that we ought to do. Today, we're going to be looking at prayer. We're going we're to look at what Jesus has to say about prayer, and so we're going to unpack what that looks like. As I was prepping for our time this morning, one of the things that I find slightly humorous is that what we do is that we take a truth about God and then we wrap it up into something we desire for our own benefit and our own personal gain. Prayer is something that's going to be that, and we'll see how. But what's uh, encouraging is that the Bible is filled with individuals who constantly do what you and I do, that they're not merely characters. These were actually people, that they were people, and they're banking on something else other than Christ. But in addition to that, they are also broken and corrupt, just like you and I are. And so the life and work of Jesus models how we're supposed to live. And so again, we're going to be looking at prayer uh, this, this morning. This morning's sermon is not something that is meant to guilt you. Like I can talk about prayer and a life of prayer and you'd be like, oh my gosh, I get it. I stink at prayer. I really can't do this. I know I need to do more. Man, I'm trying to wake up earlier. This isn't one of those things. However, if you do get convicted, that's on you and the Holy Spirit. That wasn't me. I'm telling you right off the bat, right? I'm not meant to, this isn't something that that I want to guilt you on. And the reason I don't want to guilt you on this is because I can ask anyone, you can ask me, how is your prayer life? And everybody probably will say it could be better, right? That's true. Our life in prayer could be better. I am one to totally fall into this category because I talk about prayer more than I actually pray. And that might be your story as well. So this isn't meant to guilt you, but it is meant to convict us. And in addition to that, we might learn something about one another and what Christ is doing. So with all that being said, let's go to Luke 11, 
verse 1. Remember, this is merely a launching pad into the rest of our time. We're going to be looking at a lot of Scripture. Hopefully you've memorized all 66 books of the Bible so that you know where to turn to because we're going to be looking at a lot. Here we go. This is uh, verse 1. It's very short, and then I'll pray. Luke writes, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Let me pray. God, as we come before you in prayer, my hope is that our hearts have been prepared and softened through song and that our hearts would now be receptive to your word. God, I pray that you, Holy Spirit, would not not only be present among us, but that you would be at work in us, not only compelling us, but convicting us, so that we would be made more like Jesus, or so that we would come to know Jesus this morning. God, we thank you for this time. I pray that I would be set aside, that you would be at work, and that you would be glorified in this time of uh, preaching. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Man, here is, uh, here's my exposition of uh, of verse 1 in Luke chapter 11. One of Jesus' disciples saw him pray. They wanted to learn how to pray. That's the exposition, right? What I love about it is that Jesus did stuff like this on purpose, he does stuff like this on purpose where he goes and he, he goes and isolates himself for a little bit so that he can pray. And in this case, in this context, in this scenario, he goes at a distance to where the disciples can see and they see him praying to the Father. Jesus comes back and then they say, how do you do that? Can you teach us how to pray? Some of you might be in a similar boat. Some of you might be in a similar boat in terms of, well, what exactly is prayer? How do I pray? What does Jesus teach about prayer? Man, I don't know how to speak uh, King James. What, what is it that I'm going to do about, about prayer? So we're going to look at a couple of things this morning to better help us understand. And where I'd like to start is uh, what prayer isn't right? I could dive into what it is. I could dive into how, how do we do it or what Jesus says, and we will. We will, right? But I want to first talk about a couple of things, um, and that's uh, what prayer is not. Number one, and I'm going to try to keep this as smooth as possible, but number one, uh, prayer isn't making wishes. Prayer is not making wishes. You see, too often we treat God like a genie, We treat God like a genie because we think he is a genie. And if we think he is a genie, that means that we not only far remove our hearts from him, but we're only going to come to him in times of need. We're only going to come to him in moments that we think is appropriate regarding our need. The problem with that is that uh, whether it comes to our personal walk or even something that we're reflecting as Christians is that we reflect that God is only good for emergencies. God's our genie. Additionally, too often, God isn't God, uh, but our personal butler, right? Like, we will completely take the verse where Jesus says, man, I did not come to be served, but to serve. You'll take it out of context and say, right, yes, I'm going to ring a bell. He should show up. He should answer my prayer. He should be present. He should be doing these things. God, why isn't this happening? Why aren't you fair? He's more of a butler than he is your savior, 
And further, too often we make wishes because we lack understanding of the person and work of Jesus. In short, we don't value the gospel. We don't value the gospel as much as we say we do. Just because you got a couple of uh, crosses on your wall and a fish on, uh, on your van uh, doesn't mean that you have this deep value for the gospel. Okay? Or clever hashtags, because that's our thing. So number one, prayer isn't making wishes. Number two, prayer isn't about your will. Excuse me. Prayer isn't about your will. You see, we are quick to forget that our biggest desire should be for God to accomplish His will. Almost every Sunday together, we recite the Lord's Prayer. And the beginning of that says, Our Father who's in heaven, right? Hallowed be thy name. Uh, Your kingdom come, your will be done. That the cry of our heart, that the desire for the Christian ought to be for God to do His will. The Baptist preacher of the 18th century, his name is Charles Spurgeon, says, if you want to know your will, align your heart with God's will, and then you will have your will. Our desires should be for God to accomplish His will. Additionally, under prayer not being about your will, oftentimes many Christians will cheat prayer with false motivation that you will submit things or requests before God, but maybe you're only speaking half-truths to God because you know in your heart, even though this is kind of weird, like you know in your heart, like, man, if I put this on the table, God not only may not answer it, but he may not do anything about it. Therefore, I'm going to hold on to this because I more than likely know he's not going to do anything about it. Therefore, I'm going to have to take the reins. So you just put half-truths, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. That's false motivation. And we want our will to be done because we think we ought to be God. We want our will to be done because we think we ought to be done. And what we're saying, what we're praying when we do that is we're just asking God to bless our sin. We're just asking God to bless our sin. And I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what it looks like but it could look like a variety of things, right? It could be the Christian girl dating a non-Christian guy or the Christian guy dating a non-Christian girl. I'm just hoping that God does something and wrecks their heart. (laughs) Right? You know, going back to the half-truth part, right? Man, Man, I go to church on Sunday and I pray on Monday mornings through Instagram, Uh, I have He Reads Truth, and I go to community group, but I'm not going to confess that we had sex because things are going to be different now. That's both the guys and the girls. You're just asking God to bless your sin. God isn't going to bless your sin. God is not going to bless your sin, but he's going to wreck you. Number three, Prayer, and this kind of ties into the, the your will part, but number three is prayer isn't telling God something he doesn't already know. Going back to the half-truths. Well, it could be part of that, the half-truths, right? To where you withhold something because you feel like if you say it, then he's officially going to know, right? Or I've talked to a couple of, of uh, younger men in the past, and I've asked them, man, have you, have you confessed this? I'm, gonna, I'm not going to talk to God about that. What do you mean you're not going to talk to God about that? Man, then he's going to know. He already does. He already does. 
and he saw. Okay, let's just put that on the table. He already knows and he saw. So those are three things, and I'm sure we could walk through several more, but those are three quick things that prayer isn't. Prayer isn't making wishes, it isn't about your will, and it isn't telling God something he doesn't already know. So let's look to a couple of things that prayer is. Let's look to a couple of things that prayer is. The first thing that I'd like to to kind of hash out is that prayer is conversation and communication. It's conversation and communication. Not only includes speaking, but it also includes writing. Some of you are writers. You like to journal. That's cool. I love to journal. I'm not knocking that, right? Like some of you are writers, and man, you get your prayers out on journal. That's great. Some of you do it through song and singing. That's wonderful. It's about communicating. You see, God is a Trinitarian God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They love one another. They communicate with one another. It's a good thing. Additionally, this is, well, in addition to that, this is why it's, it's such, a, such a big deal. Because we're created in the image and likeness of God, but because of sin, we have actually been separated from God. And so God the Son enters into human history as Jesus Christ. He lives the life that we cannot live, dies the death that we deserve to die, and reconciles sinners to God removing the separation that we have from the Father. And so because of the work of the Son, we have access to the Father, that we can have conversation and communicate with Him and make our requests known to Him and make our petitions made known to Him. Prayer is conversation and communication. However, that communication, that conversation has been made possible through the work of the Son by dying on a cross for sinners, satisfying the wrath of God on our behalf. That's how it works. This conversation and communication. Number two, prayer is Trinitarian. So we pray to God as Father, through the Son, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is where we're going to dive into a lot of Scripture. When we pray to God as Father, that's something that Jesus says, particularly in Matthew 6. Uh, Actually, let me just quote those right now. This is Matthew 6, 9. Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Romans eight fifteen through 16, Paul writes, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And finally, Hebrews 4, 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in a time of need. That we pray to God the Father. Now, this means a couple of things. Number one, it does mean it's a reminder that the work of the Son has given us access to the Father. That's what it means. That's one thing. But in addition to that, it also means that when we communicate to God our Father, we're communicating just with our Heavenly Father. That means it should be a conversation. That means it should be something that you pursue. It means it should be something that is done respectfully, but not necessarily super formally. 
I think this is the part when it comes to prayer that we begin to think through, man, I need to know how to speak uh, King James English. You don't have to. Man, I need to have a 30-minute introduction so that I am worthy. And man, it is coming before God, uh, God the Father, because you're coming to your dad. He's good. He's gracious. He's kind. He's loving. Hebrews 4 says that you find mercy and grace with your heavenly Father. And it's not like he doesn't know what you need, but he delights in his children coming to him. Those of you who are parents, you know your children's needs, and you delight in it when your kids come to you. He's a good father. In addition to that, we pray to God through Jesus. 1 Timothy 2.5, Paul writes, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, God and man, excuse me, the man, Christ Jesus. Paul is saying there's one mediator. That means that apart from Jesus, our prayers are empty words. Our prayers are empty words. What does that mean? It must mean that you have a regenerated heart. That means that you understand that you have been redeemed, that you have been purchased by the blood of Christ, that your sin has been forgiven, that you belong to Jesus, that you have been born again. And and as a result, through the work of Christ, you have access to the Father. If you do not know Jesus, prayers fall on empty words. And number three, we pray to God by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is Romans 8, verses 26 to 27. Paul writes, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning for deep words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we love God the Holy Spirit. We love God the Holy Spirit here. And I love, I've learned more about him over the past two years. And it is so encouraging to know that he works in the life of a Christian, right? And not only empowers them, but enables them and intercedes for Christians when you don't got anything to say. Because there have been plenty of times where I don't have much to say. In addition to that, if you're a new Christian, sometimes prayer can be a little overwhelming. Oh my gosh, how do I pray? What do I pray? What do I say? Where do I start? What words do I use? Do I get on my knees? Do I put my hands together? There's so much. Is there a book about prayer? Man, the Holy Spirit, man, intercedes and works in the life of the believer. I can remember when I first became a Christian, I remember becoming a Christian on a Wednesday, and then I went to my first community group on Thursday, and I remember on Wednesday, uh, when, when uh, man, I submitted my life, I was told, hey, just pray. And I said, I've never prayed before. I said, man, just talk. Be honest and genuine uh, before God. And so I've always called it the meathead prayer because I really didn't know what to say. And so in that moment, I said, God, uh, man, I am so sorry for what I've done. And please forgive me. Please change me. Amen. And the whole time, my eyes were open. I'm asking everything in the form of a question. And uh, I mean, I'm looked at and it's like, that's great. 
Are you sure? That's great. Because then on Thursday, I go to a community group. It was with all the guys, and I'm sitting down. All these guys are praying such eloquent prayers. I have no idea what to say. I have no idea what to pray. I have no idea how to pray. And one of the guys starts praying about his thankfulness for the blood of Christ. That trips me out because he's talking about blood. I don't know what to say to that. I just heard the gospel a couple of days before. It's freaking me out. I've joined a cult. Like, All these things are freaking me out, right? Sometimes I think we make it a little complicated, but the encouraging part is that if you belong to Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells in you, and Scripture says that he works through you, gives you the words even in times of weaknesses, or in time of weakness, and intercedes for you. That's wonderful. That's that's wonderful news for us meatheads, right? Don't act like you're not one guys. Um, So prayer is conversation and communication. Prayer is Trinitarian. And then number three, prayer is devotion and dependence. Man, if Jesus prayed, we need to pray. If Jesus prayed, then we need to pray. But in addition to that, Jesus depended on the Holy Spirit. Man, his life is to be a model for us. It isn't just something like he did it just to be cool. He did it because he depended on on the Holy Spirit. And his life modeled devotion. Talking about dependence, uh, this is 1 Thessalonians 5, 7. Paul writes, pray without ceasing. I think sometimes we throw that verse around pretty, pretty often and pretty uh, loosely. What Paul is saying when he writes to pray without ceasing, what he is saying is that prayer is interwoven into every facet of our life. It's interwoven into every facet of our life. Now, practically, some of you will even say, right, man, I pray all the time. I pray on my way to work. I pray while I'm getting ready for work. I pray while I'm at school. I pray while I'm at my desk. And that's wonderful. Please keep doing that. That's legit. That's great. And I mean that. And there ought to be times devoted, or excuse me, there ought to be times with intentional devotion. This is Luke 6.12. He says, in these days, he, that is Jesus, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. In Luke 6, we see Jesus praying to the Father, rolling over the disciples. He's talked to a large group of men, and now he's praying to the Father. Man, who is it that's going to be my disciple? I'm not so sure about this Judas guy. What do you think? And he's going back and forth. Right? Further, in Luke 5, verse 16, he writes, but he would, with, he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. There are these moments or there are these occasions, these calendared moments perhaps, where Jesus re- withdraws and retreats specifically for times of prayer. Now, if your life or if prayer is interwoven throughout your life, that's wonderful. But don't use that, and I'm not saying you are, but don't use that as an excuse to say, I have a life of devotion. It might mean, when we're talking specifically about times of devotion, it might mean that you do wake up earlier. Maybe you wake up 30 minutes earlier. Maybe you stop having so many lunch meetings. Instead of having lunch meetings Monday through Friday, you only have them Monday through Wednesday, and Tuesday and Thursday you're praying for an hour. I don't know. I don't know what it's going to look like for you. Maybe you're a night owl, so it means staying up an additional 30 minutes or an hour. Maybe it means journaling. I don't know. I don't know what it's going to look like for you. For me, it more than likely looks different than you. 
I've talked to the guy specifically with Nathaniel. He knows that I schedule that stuff. Some of you think that's weird. I think you're weird for not scheduling, right? So I schedule all of that stuff on my calendar and it's color-coded, right? Like, but that's, that's how I'm wired, right? The right way. I'm, uh, that's how I'm wired, <laughs> Okay? That, that's just how I'm wired. It might be totally different for you. It, it may look totally different for you, and that's cool. But the question is, are there times where you're just being intentional? Man, you're withdrawing from social media. You're withdrawing from the computer. You're withdrawing from entertainment. You're withdrawing even from these small moments, occasions of work, and just spending time in prayer, spending time uh, in devoted prayer. So man, spending time rooted in God's Word. Right? You can't pray without thinking about Scripture, and you can't read Scripture without thinking about prayer. Right? And this is something that sounds mm, simple, but it's not always easy. It's not easy because it means that it's going to cut into your sleep. It means that you're going to have to say no to other things. It means that you're going to have to carve out some time to make this happen. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. I guess one of the other things that I could add about what prayer isn't, it's not negotiating. It's not negotiating. And I think just because it wasn't listed, that might be something that you're thinking about. Well, God, I work this time, and so what's good for you? Stop negotiating and make it happen. Again, I, I don't know like, the specifics of what it's going to look like for you, but make it happen. So prayer is devotion and dependence. The next section is, let's look at what Jesus teaches about prayer. What does he teach about prayer? Again, we can look at several things that Jesus teaches us about prayer. I only want to focus on two. The first one is that Jesus says that we must pray in faith. Listen to James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. He writes, if any, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. What James isn't saying, he's not saying that you won't have doubt, but he's saying that you must understand God as Father. By coming to God as Father, you come in a posture of humility. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But it comes with a posture of humility. Further, it begs the question, well then what is faith? If we are coming to God in faith without doubting so that we're not tossed by the wind, what does it mean to have faith? Or what is faith? Faith consists of three things. It consists of three things. What faith is not, it's not wishful thinking, and it's not putting a blindfold over your eyes and stepping into the dark abyss. That is not what faith is. It's not what biblical faith is. Faith consists of three things. It consists of what the truth is. The truth is the word of God. It consists of agreement with that truth to what God has revealed through his word. So those are two things, and we're still not done. It requires knowledge and truth. It requires agreement or assent. And finally, it requires you to follow through with what the Word of God says. Right? Faith without works is dead. It requires you to follow through with what God's Word says. Some of you really do believe that faith is wishful thinking. Some of you really do believe that, man, having faith just sounds cool. 
neither of those are correct. Okay? Neither of those are correct. It means that you follow through. And so when we pray in faith in light of what God's word says, the truth about who God is, and we follow through, follow through means that we know that God is good, that God is gracious, that our sins are forgiven. And it also means, because God reveals himself through his word, that God answers prayer. Let's talk about that. God answers prayer. He answers prayer. Everybody's like, yes, that's awesome. Chill. He answers yes, no, not yet. He answers yes, no, not yet. Oftentimes, man, God will respond or God will answer your prayer, and uh, it's a no. And then you'll go out and complain, and you'll write a really long blog, and you're just writing about, man, how God isn't answering, and how God's not working, and I can't believe God's not. No, he answered you. You just don't like the answer. Congratulations, we're fifth graders again. Right? That's it. He answered your prayer. You just didn't like it. But God is a good father. He knows what is best for his children. He delights in his children coming before him, and that doesn't mean he's going to say yes to everything. In addition to that, he might say not yet, and that not yet might be many, many, many years. But you're not banking on your circumstance. You're not banking on your desires. You're banking as God, on God as someone who is good, gracious, and a loving father who knows best for you. And he has demonstrated it by pursuing you and adopting you into his family, pursuing you, Christian. That he, has, he had his eye set on you before the foundations of the world, before he filled the oceans and created any mountain, he had his eye set on you. He has pursued you. He is pursuing you. He has demonstrated it by sending his son to die on a cross for you. And he continually does it. He preaches repentance every day. When God preaches repentance, he is not doing it from a throne far away, sending it to you via memo or email. He is preaching repentance daily and saying, repent and turn to me. Come back to me. Look at me. He is preaching repentance. He is a father who is chasing his children who don't want to listen and want to do their own thing, and he pursues them in love. Sometimes so sweetly, sometimes aggressively. He needs to sprint. That we pray in faith. God answers prayer. Yes? And nobody, like, we don't even need to spend time talking about, uh, I mean, we could, right? Uh, but we don't need to even spend so much time when it comes to God answering yes. Because everybody's like, yes, praise God, awesome. Because you know the feeling. But then when he says no, it's like, why are you abandoning me? You sound like David in the Psalms. <laughs> right? Which is cool. Number two, pray with humility. I think it's on the note. No, maybe not. I'm just kidding. Uh, pray with humility. We're going to look at how to pray in just a minute. You're going to see that there's a difference where it's pray with humility and pray in humility. So we're going to look at praying with humility. What I mean by praying with humility, it means that you empty yourself of your pride, that you are emptied of self-righteousness, that you are looking at who God is and what God has done, particularly what God is doing. We're going to look at two massive pieces of scripture. So bear with me. This is Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 6. This is Jesus. He says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. 
For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. That doesn't mean that you don't pray where you're at a restaurant, right? That doesn't mean that. What it is saying is that your motivation behind praying is so that others would look at how holy you are and how cool you are because you're that Christian person. That you're flaunting it in a self-righteous way. And what Jesus says is, cool, that's your reward. That's yours. Go ahead and have it. Some of you pray in that manner. Some of you pray in a manner that brings attention to you and does not glorify God. All you're doing is preaching how cool you are and how much God really does need you and really that you live this life not by faith but by self-righteousness. In addition to that, Jesus in Luke 9 through 14 says this, he also told a parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. He says, two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus comes back in, he says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. That may be some of you. And you might even justify it right now in your chair by saying, well, I don't use those words and I haven't done those things and so that's not me. That doesn't mean that isn't what you pray or how you pray. You know, I'm not as bad as other people think I am. I'm not as bad as, you know who's really bad? Let me tell you about my cousin. Let me tell you about this girl or this dude in my community group. God, they are really the ones who need you. I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to you. And oftentimes, when you're praying those things, you're banking on your self-righteousness. You're banking on how awesome you think you are. You're banking on, really, your lack of value and understanding of the gospel and who Christ is and what Christ has done. And it happens most boldly inside of the church. Inside of the church, that kind of a prayer happens most boldly. I'm glad I'm not a wreck like someone else. I'm glad I've memorized so many verses of Scripture and they haven't. I'm glad I'm further along in my walk and don't have to wrestle with those foolish sins any longer. All you're demonstrating is your lack of maturity in the gospel. In addition to that, when you pray in that manner, you really just stunt your growth. You stunt your growth. A Christian is someone who is hungry to grow. And when you pray in that manner, you stunt it. And so you bank on your self-righteousness. And in addition to all of those things, if that is not enough, particularly in the church, we sprinkle things with Christianese to make ourselves sound holy. 
I am just so humble for submitting my pride to the Lord. No, you're not. Okay? That's oftentimes how it looks. And particularly, if you put other people around it, you'll sprinkle even more Christianese around it to sound holy or to sound like you got it together or to sound like you're better than them or to sound like the things that they're wrestling with surely aren't things that you wrestle with anymore because you're beyond that. All you're doing is adopting a posture of self-righteousness and of pride, and you are no different than the Pharisee. You're no different than the Pharisee. The same ones who murdered Jesus. You remember those guys? In addition to that, when we bank on our pride and our self-righteousness, we're not trying to be more like Jesus. You're really just trying to be more like Satan. If we go back to Isaiah, say he writes that it is pride that got him kicked out of heaven. That's really who we're banking on then. Pray with humility. Pray with humility. Those are the two things. The next thing is answering or, or looking at, well, then how do we pray? What do we do? What do we say? What do I talk about? This is a brief review because I think it's very, very simple. Again, it may not be easy, but it is very simple. This is a brief review of Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. We, we looked at this just a couple of weeks ago. Paul writes, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Here are four things when it comes to praying. Four things. First one is praise. Praise. Man, in, in, in prayer, you are praising God for who he is. Remember, asking in faith means that you recognize God as Father, that, is, that he is gracious, that he is good, that he is loving, that he is kind, that he is patient, that he's forgiven sin, that he has pursued you, that he delights in you, Christian. That is praise. That is praise for who God is. Further, we pray in humility. We pray in humility where our self-righteousness has now been emptied, where we have lost our pride. In humility, it also includes confession and repentance. I'll say that one more time. It includes confession and repentance. You can confess your sin and not be repentant. To be repentant or to repent means to literally to change direction. Romans 12, uh, 12.2 says to not be conformed, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is a change of mind. That is a change of direction, right? And so when we confess, yeah, you can confess and you can seem really cool about confessing, but that does not mean you have repented. What do you mean I haven't repented? Nothing's changed. Nothing has changed. Repentance includes change. And so you need to make changes, but you make changes when we confess ultimately what we are saying, particularly when we look at James 5, he says, uh, confess sin to one another. When we are confessing sin to one another, when we are confessing sin in prayer, what we are saying is that we don't want to change alone because when we do this alone, nothing happens. Nothing happens. You want there to be change. Therefore, we repent. And when you repent and when you confess and, excuse me, when you confess and repent your, of your sin, you are in a posture of humility. 
Because at that point, your only hope is grace. Because you have been reminded of what you just prayed about in light of who God is. Praise and in humility. Number three, with thanksgiving. This means that you preach the gospel to yourself. Many believe you might fall into this category. The gospel is old news. Cool. Jesus did something that was really awesome. Next. One, either you're not a Christian or you just simply need to repent. Both need to repent, but you know what I mean. In Thanksgiving, you are preaching the gospel to yourself. One of the things I challenged the men on this past weekend was preaching the gospel to not only one another, right, but also to their wives. I think part of the reason when it comes to Thanksgiving, we don't want to preach the gospel because we really don't know it. It's because maybe we really don't know it. And so, oftentimes, not just men, but oftentimes, men and women will bank on the programs. That when it comes to the gospel, instead of actually speaking it to one another, you'll say, why don't you come to church with me on Sunday so the preacher can tell you about the gospel? When it comes to your children, you will, they will come to you and ask you questions about God, and you will say, that's a really good question. Just wait till we get to kids' ministry so that you can ask Mr. J.C., Thanksgiving means you preach the gospel to yourself. And it is not only positive thoughts that you tell yourself. It is the work of God that he has done for you, the work of God that he is doing in you, and the work of God that he is doing through you. When it comes to the work of God being done through you, that means that you speak it to other people. Both to those who don't know Jesus and those who do. Proverbs, elsewhere in Proverbs, the writer says that speaking the words of God is like breathing and resuscitating dead bones. So in that case, sure. What verses have you memorized? What is the gospel? That's probably one of my favorite questions to ask, especially when it comes to younger guys who love to read nerdy books and they're all about theology, which I love. I'm not knocking that. But then you ask, hey, so what's the gospel? Uh, Well, John Calvin says, no, man, what's the gospel? Nobody has an answer. In Thanksgiving, we preach the gospel to ourselves. Put down the theology books. Learn the gospel. All right? Learn it, live it, love it. And finally, make your requests known. All right? That's what Paul says in Philippians 4. Make your requests known. Now, what I love about the process that Paul says in Philippians 4, one, he's not saying not to make your requests, but what we see is greater humility taking place in every step. When we're talking about praise, we're talking about all the wonders of God. When we're talking about praying in humility, we are uh, submitting ourselves to the will of God. When we are talking about thanksgiving, we are looking at all that God has done and preaching it to ourselves. Everything has to do with God and his work in th- and for us, in us, and through us. And then you get to the place where you make your request known. Man, you've adopted a posture of humility. You've adopted a posture of humility, and you understand that, man, as I make these requests known, as I submit these things to God, man, his will be done. His will be done. And it's not that he doesn't know that I have these requests or that I want to have this kind of a conversation. It's that he actually delights in it. But what he is telling me to do through the Apostle Paul is that I need to adopt humility. I need to be emptied of my pride and self-righteousness. Guys, the, the, the purpose of prayer isn't so much that God would change your circumstance. 
but that he would change the condition of your heart. That on the other side, you come out more godly. You come out more like Christ. You come out with a better understanding of the gospel. Because I can't guarantee you that your circumstance is going to change. Prayer isn't so much about God changing your circumstance as it is him changing the condition of your heart. And so if you know Jesus, if you're a Christian, this is a wonderful reminder. Again, it's not meant to guilt you. If you feel guilty or you feel convicted, it wasn't me. But if you feel that, as a Christian, here's what I would start. Start by repenting. Start by repenting. That perhaps your prayers have missed it because you are more self-interested in your own desires rather than God accomplishing his will. Repent of your sin. That means, that means there's going to be some changes that need to be made. I don't know what those are. Maybe you do need accountability. Maybe it means you do need to schedule things. Maybe it means that you just fall on your knees and you cry out to God as Father, begging Him for mercy and grace. Maybe that's where, where it starts. But you repent of your sin. You change direction and that your eyes are upon the Lord. That if you don't know Jesus, I mean, you can come to know Jesus you can come to know Jesus, him on the cross. He's saying, you can have this. You, you can have this. This is, this is for you. See, in, in confession and repentance, when God changes our hearts, what that means is that that separation that you currently have with God is now removed through the work of the Son and that you can have access to the Father. Maybe you didn't have a Father or maybe He was physically present but emotionally absent. Maybe you're banking on other things because of what you've experienced with your Father, yet this one is telling you that I am good, I am gracious, I am patient, I am loving, I am kind and I love you and I have pursued you by sending my son to die on a cross for sinners like you. And so in confession and repentance, yeah, it means that that separation has now been removed, that you are no longer an enemy of God. It means that you are a friend of God. No longer are you lost, but you are found. No longer are you orphaned, but you are now a son or a daughter. And that is something that no one can take away from you. That is something that will never change. That is something that even to this day, no matter how long you've been a Christian, or even if you're not a Christian, He has been pursuing you. We just like running the other direction. And He is pursuing you. Prayer isn't so much about changing your circumstance, but it is about changing the condition that Christ changes the condition of your heart. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time together. Uh, I I thank you for this time because uh, we get to come to you right now in prayer. We get to, man, have this kind of conversation and communication. Lord, that my brothers and sisters would submit all their things before you, that they would praise you, that they would adopt a posture of humility, that they would be preaching the gospel to themselves right now and making their request known. That those who don't know Jesus and are here with us this morning, God, that you would be at work in their hearts so that they would confess and repent of their sin so that the separation they have with you, Father, would be removed, and a relationship would begin. God, as we come into a time of tithes and offerings, this is where we give you our stuff. This is where we are not honed down by our stuff. This is where we actually relinquish the control we think we have. And in addition to that, as we give faithfully and and sacrificially, um, 
And generously, God, I pray that we are good stewards of these finances, that these finances would serve as a way to advance your gospel, as a way to advance your kingdom, not our own, because ultimately our desire is for you to accomplish your will, not ours. God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you for those who are visiting and got to listen to your word. I pray that you work in them uh, this morning as they're in their seat. Lord, we love you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.